0: be sharing from Hebrews chapter 13 1 through 6 Hebrews 13 1 through 6 I want to read that with you and then pray with you thank you let love of the brethren continue do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers For by this, some have entertained angels without knowing it. Remember the prisoners as though in prison with them, and those who are ill-treated, since you yourselves also are in the body. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, and the marriage bed is to be undefiled. For fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you. So that we confidently confidently say, the Lord is my helper, I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Let's pray together. Father, we just thank you for your word We thank you for assurance and encouragement and even admonition and correction. We pray, Father, that you would touch us tonight with your word of truth and we humble ourselves before you as those who need to be taught, myself especially. And Father, we thank you for your presence here this evening. I pray for every person here. There are needs here, Lord, in every heart in every life, and we lift ourselves up to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. The writer of Hebrews here, I believe, points out five essential relationships that every Christian is accountable to manage. And um, as we look at them, it's very simple. Verse 1 Christian fellowship, the love of the brethren. Verse 2, hospitality to strangers. Verse 3, prisoners. Verse 4, marriage relationships. Verse 5 and 6, our relationship with Christ. And in order to approach these, I kind of want to preface my comments tonight addressing them, uh, understanding protocol. And many times we do not understand that in Christian fellowship and Christian relationships and in all of our relationships, there is protocol. And if we step outside of these things, it is impossible for us to properly respond to the relationships that we have in life. Incidentally, protocol did not begin with the military. Protocol began in, in the Godhead. And I just want to define it briefly. Webster's definition is kind of confusing. So another one that I got online is it's an acceptable code of conduct or acceptable behavior in a given situation or group or in relationships. There's an appropriate conduct in our relationships. In the Godhead, the triunity of God, there is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And God is one. And many times people misunderstand because they think that God is one means God is single. But it literally means that God is functionally one. And there is a protocol there. If you turn to John 12, I just want to show you a couple verses. The Gospel of John is filled with references to the relationship between Christ, the Holy Spirit, and the Father. In John 12, 49 and 50, Jesus says, For I did not speak on my own initiative, but the Father himself who sent me has given me a commandment as to what to say and what to speak. I know that his commandment is eternal life, therefore the things I speak, I speak just as the Father told me. Jesus spent considerable time in prayer discerning the Father's purpose, his will, his words, and then carried out the Father's perfect will. There was a protocol there. And if you turn over to 1431, he says... But so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do exactly as the Father commanded me. And so he was subject to the Father. And then as Jesus here in the Gospel of John speaks of the Holy Spirit, in John sixteen, thirteen through fifteen, uh, Jesus teaches concerning the Holy Spirit. John sixteen thirteen to fifteen. Jesus says, but when he, and he identifies he, the spirit of truth, the Holy Spirit comes, he will guide you into all truth, for he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. All things that the Father has their mind. therefore I said that he, the Holy Spirit, takes of mine and will disclose it to you. The function of the Holy Spirit is to glorify Jesus Christ. And there's great confusion in the church today that some say that a lot of churches don't believe in the Holy Spirit because they don't talk about the Holy Spirit all the time. But a church that is filled with the Holy Spirit glorifies Jesus Christ. The Holy Spirit is not an egotist always talking about himself. And Jesus Christ was not an egotist saying, boy, this earth is a cool place. What's in it for me? He subjected himself to the Father. That sense of responsibility and subjection. And so the five essential relationships We cannot be faithful disciples apart from an appropriate response to our relationships with others. It's all about that. It's not about I'm set free, I can do anything I want. But we are in accountable relationships with one another. The first arena that the writer of Hebrews points to is Christian fellowship, or in other words, the church. He says in verse uh, 1, let love of the brethren continue, not just start, not have a happy season and then wither and fail and be blighted, but to continue in Christian fellowship. We as a nation are going through this scenario with Bo Bergdahl and as to whether he walked away from his post, is he a traitor or a collaborator or what. But the church is the post of the Christian community. And we cannot be faithful to Jesus Christ and walk away from the church. And we cannot be functional as Christians without a right relationship with the church, the body of Jesus Christ, Christian fellowship. The book of Hebrews is addressed to believers who are suffering as Christians. They're tempted to abandon the church and to realign themselves with Judaistic formality. But had they done that, they would abandon their post. And they would have corroborated with the archenemy of Christian faith and the Judaistic teachings of the heresies who taught that we're saved by the law, abandoning the gospel of Jesus Christ. One of the things that I have discovered in my life is is that there are oftentimes multitudes of reasons to do the wrong thing and sometimes only one reason to do the right thing. I see heads shaking. You've experienced this too. And so if we are given to our own comforts, our own reasoning, we're going to abandon our post. But we need to stand in what Jesus Christ has called us to be a part of, Christian fellowship. We are not to neglect Christian fellowship, the Bible says. It is to be a priority, I had been a Christian for about eight years before I really got involved in a Christian fellowship and my heart was just kindled and I was so hungry that every time the door of the church was open, I was there. Not much has changed. I love Christian fellowship. I'm a junkie. I like to be with you guys. I just love it. Don't neglect it. Wolves predate those who are isolated from the flock. Simple as that. Secondly, don't divide Christian fellowship. Build others up. (laughs) Good illustration of this. I should have saved it for the marriage portion of my message tonight, but yesterday morning Cheryl and I were reading together in the Bible and we always have a prayer time And what a marvelous prayer time it was. We, global, and prayed for some of the prayer requests that we had here last Wednesday and prayed for many concerns in great agreement and passion. And then after we were done praying and reading the Bible, I pulled my little list out of chores that I had planned on doing yesterday the first thing on the list was to clean the stovetop. And I said, I need to find a good brush and get that stovetop good and clean. She said, oh, no, 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 don't use a brush, you know, and and immediately my dander kind of went up and, you know, I'm going to cleave, clean the stovetop and I'll do it my way. I didn't. <laughs> and the point is... The point is, this is that we can agree in the great things and cry out to God, and then there's some little thing cleaning the stovetop that is, you know, raising the blood pressure and causing division to where we were going to have a bad day if something didn't happen. And I said the magic words, yes, dear. (laughs) And so the big things need to remain the big things. Don't divide. Don't divide the Christian fellowship. Thirdly, don't abuse the Christian fellowship. Have a heart to give and to contribute. There's a massive difference between receiving and taking. Receiving means that we receive what God has brought to us through the lives and the ministries and the gifts of others, but taking is, I'm here for what I can get and I don't care about anybody else. It's all about me. But to become a person who is a contributor in the lives of others, and to have that mindset to look at people, not from the point of view, what do they have to offer me? But from the point of view, is what can I do to bless them? It's a world of difference. And that's the way we should see Christian fellowship. The second area here that the writer calls us to respond to appropriately is our relationship with others. He says, Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Ministry to Strangers to get outside of our expectation of familiarity and comfort and to begin to look for the relationships that God is placing before us. New people, new relationships. The kingdom of God is bigger than our fellowship, our affiliations, our nature, and our culture. I love these home groups. And I remember the first night as people had signed up for the home group, strangers walked into our living room. Didn't know anything about them. Now I don't know how I could live without them. People that I had not met, people that I had not known, people that God has worked in their life mightily and they've contributed so much to me. I'm supposed to be leading the group and they're teaching me. What a blessing. And Gordon's here shaking his head. Same thing in your group. And so this relationship that we have, the writer says, for by this some have entertained angels without knowing it. Now the word angel means messenger and an angel can be a human being who is a messenger of God that God has place the message through to deliver to you or me and it can be a heavenly being. It doesn't have to, you know, they don't have to have wings and flap around the living room. But many times we encounter people and we don't even know what's going on in the situation and they're an angel from god to minister to us and we have copped an attitude toward them in such a way that we can't receive what god has brought to us some kind of arrogance and so i ask how do you relate to strangers with a cold shoulder with suspicion with condescension, thinking that you're smarter and better than they to try and impress them with your spirituality, or you come with a cautious openness that you are in an anticipation that God is going to bring people into your life and each day that God has brought to you to bring a blessing or a message or a correction. Or something that you really need to know. And have that openness. We have divine appointments, I believe, daily. And are we meeting them appropriately? Or do we have our agenda and nothing else matters except what we have determined is going to happen. And the way that it's going to happen. And if it doesn't happen our way, then God's just not with us. And so there's protocol in our relationship with strangers and expecting to encounter people whom God has sent, and if we have a humble attitude and a receiving attitude, we will receive what God has brought to us. Appropriate submitting ourselves to what God is doing. Third category of relationships is prisoners, The writer says, remember the prisoners as though in prison with them and those who are ill-treated since you yourselves are in the body. Now this verse many times I've heard it used as a justification for prison ministry and what I think the verse is talking about is remember Christian prisoners who are persecuted and in difficult straits because of their faithfulness to Christ. Now there's room for prison ministries to convicts and felons and so forth i'm not saying that that's not the case but this verse is talking about ministering to christians who have been faithful and who have suffered embarrassing and difficult circumstances and sadly many times the christian community withdraws from people who are going through these difficult circumstances And we look at them with kind of jaundiced eye like what did you do to deserve these consequences and with an attitude of condemnation rather than compassion. The faithful people who have suffered. There's an organization that probably many of you are aware of called Voice of the Martyrs that ministers specifically to people who are in cultures where they're being persecuted and many times executed because of their faith and reaches out to such people. And you and I need to have a heart, not necessarily organizationally, but to people who are in those straits. The requirements, uh, excuse me, the protocol is that if we are up, we must help those who are down not to hover over them as though superior. The requirements for such ministry are deliberate outreach, we have to go to them. They can't come to church. They many times are in such difficult straits that we need to reach out and to go actually physically to them, to minister to them. In order to do that, we have to know where they're at. And understand what's going on in their lives we need to overcome the stigma of dealing with people who are humiliated or laid low and somehow like to rub shoulders with you know people who are important in the community or people who are seen as very successful I remember as a young pastor I'd go to the conferences and listen to the speakers And after the conference, I'd rush the stage and try to shake hands with them because that spirituality would rub off on me. And many times I was sitting right beside a person who was going through difficult straits and needed an encouraging word. And that was the person I should have been reaching out to to impart, to bless, to lift up. It involves personal sacrifice, Because they have nothing to offer us. They have nothing to offer us. It is completely us seeking to help them. Remember the prisoners. As though in prison with them. Empathy means with pathos, with feeling toward people. Sympathy means with passion for people who are going through hard times caring for them, becoming emotionally attached with them. They're ill-treated. Earlier, the writer of Hebrews described people who were going through such things as men of whom this world is not worthy, but dignified in the eyes of God, and they should be dignified in our eyes. Fourth category, relationship that we need to manage appropriately and respond to appropriately is marriage. Marriage is to be held in honor among all, not just some, not just those who have good marriages, which means I get what I want. But to be held in honor among all and the marriage bed is to be undefiled, for fornicators and adulterers will be judged. That's a promise. I don't hear many people quoting that promise. Ephesians 5:21 says, Be subject to one another out of reverence for Christ. And it goes into the relationship between husband and wife. Begins with the wife. And that's the only thing that a lot of men remember. Wives, be subject to your husbands as to Christ. And so consequently, husbands like to take that and rule over their wives, but if you read on, it says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Which is harder. And that relationship being subject to one another, wives as to Christ, husbands as Christ, Marriage fidelity, fidelity is a model. It's a model of a relationship with God in both the Old Testament and the New Testament. Do you think it's important to God? He uses marriage fidelity to be the model of being faithful to God. And so consequently, the marriage relationship is not only profoundly important, it's essential that we manage that relationship and exercise appropriate protocol in that relationship. I jotted down here that I've seen men and women invest heavily in doomed extramarital relationships while investing nothing in their own marriage. If they invested 20% of what they were investing in an inappropriate relationship, to their wife at home, they would have a marriage. Instead, unfaithfulness. I was going to do the bit, you know, like the TV evangelist. Oops, I got a word from God. And I'm, I have a list of things here that I know, okay? Number one Every married Christian is married to an imperfect person. Am I right? Check. Anybody here married to a perfect person? Okay, we'll pray for you that you could get your vision back. (laughs) The second thing I know is that we've all failed at heart. Every one of us have failed. The third thing I know is that every, person, every married person needs to grow in their ability to love. Every one of us has to do better. And if you're a single person here tonight and you're looking to be married so that, you know, all the whistles and bells can go off and live happily ever after, just modify your expectations. Because marriage is always a challenge, and it always has to be responded to appropriately, and it's going to cause you to grow. And growth for most of us is not an easy thing, especially the masculine gender. The next thing I know is that every marriage has difficulties. Every marriage has difficulties. And those difficulties are used by God to grow us if we stick with His program. But God uses difficulties in marriages to mature us. Marriages for men and women, not boys and girls. And we need to grow up and we need to mature and we need to learn how to care for someone else and to be subject to someone else. And to have their needs at heart. The sixth thing I know is it takes two to get married and only one to get a divorce. Don't be that one. It takes two to get married and only one to get a divorce. Do not be that one. Cheryl and I talked about this. We know many people who have abandoned their marriages and waltzed off with Miss, Mr. Perfect, not one person has wound up with happy marriage or a fulfilling life. Faithfulness. I'm talking Christians. Not talking about before we've been a Christian, but as a Christian, we are bound. We have made a covenant relationship and our vows to our spouse. And we are accountable before God for the fulfilling of that relationship. It doesn't matter if she disagrees with how you are going to clean the stove. The last thing is keep the big things the big things and get a sense of humor about the little things. Learn how to laugh at the things that would cause you to divide and polarize and get angry or pout or whatever you do. But manage the marriage relationship. Learn to manage that. It is the greatest laboratory of spiritual growth that God has ever ordained, I believe. Second only, to, second only or maybe before Christian fellowship. And the last category, the relationship that we need to learn to manage is our relationship with Christ. <clears throat> it's last but not least. In verse 5 and 6, the writer of Hebrews says, Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we confidently say, The Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Our relationship with Christ, faithfulness. What motivates us? Are we motivated by our love for Jesus Christ, are we motivated by our expectations out of, as to what we expect God to do for us if we're good boys and good girls? Talking with Eddie today, Wes Bentley made a statement, and I hope I get it right, but he said we're not responsible for the outcome. We're responsible for the action. God will take care of the outcome, whatever that might be, but we have to do the right thing. And take the right stand. And live for Christ. And our motive must not be filthy lucre. Jesus said you can't serve two gods. You know God and mammon. Take your pick. Faithfulness to Christ has cost me money. And I don't know that I've missed it. God is faithful. And God is good. And he takes care of us even through the most desperate losses. Our motive is not sordid gain, but to honor Christ as Lord, to be faithful to him. We are judged on faithfulness. We're not judged on our degree description after our name or the office that we held on this earth, but we are judged. Jesus said, well done, good and faithful, faithful And then the next word is what? Servant. That's what we're called to be. And so our relationship with Christ calls for complete humility on our part. Love of money devours character. It devours character. Now, I like money. Don't take me wrong. I spend it. And if I had more, I'd spend more. But it's not the driving force in my life. The love for Christ must be. The writer says here, make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have. Are you content with what you have? Are you contented with your automobile? Are you contented with your house? Are you contented with your spouse? Are you contented with your children? Are you contented with where you're at right now in life knowing that the Lord is working and that he is faithful and he can deal with whatever you, whatever you face right now? Contentment. We had a couple in our church that kind of watched the television group and the health wealth thing. One Sunday they came and the father and son said, we've been down looking at jaguars. They said, you've been to the zoo? No, they were looking at Jaguar, Jaguars. And they were looking at these cars. They didn't have one nickel to rub against another. And they said, oh, it's an act of faith. We believe in God, and we believe that God will make it possible to have one of these. The last time I saw them, they were driving a Chevy like me. It's not about that. Contentment. If God wants you to have more, God will give you more. If you need more, he will provide that. But the objective here is not the world standards to have everything that we can possibly imagine and fancy. The the objective here is to accomplish God's calling upon our lives and the purpose for which he has drawn us into the kingdom of God through his mercy and grace. I want to fulfill that purpose. If it's in a Chevy, fine, or if it's in a... Toyota Sequoia is fine. I don't care. But I want to serve Christ and fulfill his purpose. Content. The sense of having enough. God has given us enough to accomplish his purpose today. Let every day's trouble, uh, troubles be sufficient for the day. I don't know what I'll need tomorrow, but he will provide it. And he will be faithful. He will pr- provide more if it's needed. And then the words of the Lord here are profound. They're to you. Lord is my helper, excuse me, I will never desert you. You know how I think that can read? I will never desert you. Why would you ever desert me, the Lord says. I will never desert you. It's a promise. Worst case scenario, the Lord will never desert us nor abandon us. He says, nor will I ever forsake you. And then verse 6 is from our perspective, we can confidently say, we can confidently say, the Lord is my helper. Let's say it together. The Lord is my helper. He's my helper. He's your helper. He is our sufficiency. And he will never let us down. I will not be afraid. Are you ever afraid? I am. I will not be afraid. The Lord is my helper. What will man do to me? Kill me. (laughs) Go to heaven early. What will man do to me? What will man do to you? You think of our fears they're foolish the lord says i will never ever forsake you or desert you it's his promise and he has never failed in a single promise father we just thank you for your faithfulness to us all of these years when our hearts were far away from us and we were unfaithful to you, you were faithful. When we were running away from uh, from you, you were calling us home. When we were failing miserably, you were communicating your great love to us. Lord, we just thank you for your goodness to us. Yes, Lord. We thank you for your promise. Lord Jesus, that you will never that you will never desert us. You will never forsake us. Right. We believe you. Yes, Lord. And we put our faith in you. And we pray in your name. Amen. Amen. Well, when we're done with some questions and